0: Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies, and germs, welcome to the Film Cult podcast. Tonight, a musician that changed the course of music forever in the 1990s. He was born in the Pacific Northwest, though, so of course he had greatness running through him. From the legendary band Helmet, I am so happy to introduce Paige Hamilton. Paige, how are things?
1: I'm great. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing really good. The world. the world is so chaotic right now though. Do you <laughs> find that when issues are at this at the forefront of culture that it's helpful or actually harmful for your creative process?
1: Um you know guy I I it's it's really hard to say. I I've, I've been um on this on this path for so long now. Um yeah I, I started playing guitar whatever year it was 1977 <laughs> and and I've always tried to make it about the music but I think obviously your surroundings have an an impact and uh influence you know but I mean how much more can we can we say about the you know the current situation it's it's, it's none of us ever thought we'd see anything like this in our lifetime right um um I you know it, I've been writing songs, <laughs> songs about this kind of thing for a, for a long time. That you know, before Trump was even in office, "Dead to the World" came out, and and uh, people were like, "Did you write this about Trump?" I'm like, "Nope. This is you can you can see this is you know this is bound to happen. You know, there are people there are people that have no interest in in the truth. People have no interest in." Um, you know, I know compassion. Um, you know, for for the, the fellow uh, human beings, let alone for fellow Americans. You know, um, it's just I've never seen, never, never seen eye to eye with this sort of approach to to living. You know, it's capitalism failing.
0: <laughs> well, do you see real change coming from any of this? Do you think that this chaos is going to lead to a brighter future in the long run?
1: Um. I don't, unfortunately. I feel like, I mean, the fact that um, was it 71 million people voted for uh, for Donald Trump, um, and that that you know, right wing media are now saying after uh, yesterday or day before yesterday, whatever day it happened, that awful uh, the insurrection took place. That oh, Antifa, uh huh, yeah, okay, that's that's what it was, and and we compare. You know, we've, we've all seen, seen all the reports and read everything and you compare the, the way they, uh, you know, crushed the, the BLM um, peaceful protests and, and used tear gas and, what, and they had a few police officers in front of the Capitol building and allowed these, these white supremacists to, to, to storm the building. and cry. I mean, what was it? Was it 18? The last time that happened was 18, I want to say 1814. Was that the last time? They- I think
0: it was 1812.
1: 1812. Yeah. The last time I think the Brits like crashed through the, the Capitol. They're like, um, I don't know. I, I, I you the, the, the unfortunate thing that some that we're capable of electing someone like this um, to be president and, and that there's no there's absolutely no regard for or respect for or uh, uh, basically, people don't give a shit about what's true and what's false. They don't care. They, you know, and that's, that's a lot of people. It's not, it's not a little fringe group of neo-Nazis, you know? I mean, that he called the neo-Nazis in Charlottesville some good people on both sides. Even Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's a conserv- you know, was a conservative, said the company the country that defeated Hitler, there's no room for 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 neo-Nazis in, in this in this country. What are, what are you talking about? Good people. There's no there's no good in Nazi. You know, I'm sorry. It's what like who thinks that? Who could possibly think that? I did I I don't know. I mean, I wanna believe that things will turn around, but you can't educate, you can't you know educate 70 million people or or convince them in something that they refuse to they refuse to be educated if they refuse to listen if they refuse you then it's not going to happen so well it also
0: it also doesn't help when you have an education system that is being so downgraded by these exact same people and education will just not get out there it's never going to happen because it has been downgraded for so many, so many, so many years.
1: Continues to be teachers, teachers. I know people that are teachers and they, they, they have, you know, a job as a cocktail waitress at night to make ends meet, you know um, it, it, it's there, you know, we're, it's that we're so out of balance. I mean that, that AOC is fighting for a minimum wage, I will not say who, but people. Uh, someone sent me a thing, laughing. Oh, she's so dumb. I'm like, she's accomplished more as a freshman congressman than any anybody in the entire year. She's he's trying. She's fighting for transgender uh, rights. She's fighting for an, you know a, 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 a minimum wage that is in keeping with the, with inflation. You can't make a living on you know ten dollars an hour. You can't pay bills in anywhere. You know it's it's. I don't know. I I don't know what people think. This Reagan trickle-down economics, you know, um, it it didn't work then. It's not working now. You know, and 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 Trump taking care of the these corporations, giving them these, you know, slashing the taxes to what is it, twenty-one percent from thirty-five percent. Why why would they not pay their fair share of tax? Pay their, you know, I pay more taxes uh, than Donald Trump. I have for I have for twenty. Plus years, this this what, the, what I saw in the New York Times. of Those two years, uh, twenty fifteen sixteen or sixteen seventeen, he was paying seven hundred fifty dollars, and I don't think he's you know. I mean, like, how is that? How is that making our country stronger? How are we? I, I, I don't know. I Just I don't know. It's it's frustrating. I actually before the election, I was I was investigating casually, investigating. I've I've threatened this many times, but looked into an artist program in Berlin because they. Um, they want artists there and I speak German from my years uh, my years studying classical guitar over in, in, um, in baden wurttemberg and when I was in college at Oregon and I have another friend who's, a, who's uh, friends with the brother of the mayor of Vancouver BC and who apparently has a helmet poster in his room much to the chagrin of his wife and he's a huge uh, fan of of me and my music and he said we'll get him a job on a movie he can move here i'll write him a letter you know and i started thinking hmm. but you know they have issues there too there's no i guess there's no place perfect part of me wants to be on a desert island i guess but you know other friends have said you stay and you 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 continue to sign petitions and try to do something that's worthwhile I, I, i'm now um um, an advisory member, I, I, I like to call myself ambassador Hamilton, but I'm uh, for, for um, progress humanity progresshumanity.org. Um, we just did a recording of Let It Be for that 15 countries are participating in. I did the uh, I did the master version that they're sending around to um, for other people to contribute what be it instrumentally or vocally or whatever and uh, we're going to release it during uh, around the time of the inauguration i just got my school of rock kids involved they, they shot some videos um because i'm teaching a class of school of rock so these are great these are good people and i just you know kind of stumbled into it because my dear friend tracy weedeman who's a tour manager extraordinaire for everyone from ziggy marley to heart and aria speedwagon she um she's helped me kind of set up my lessons my guitar lessons and uh, she said, "Hey, this progress humanity thing." She sent me the link. I'm like, "I'm in." Um, well, I mean, among other things, they they helped create uh, get get land and create a country for the Pygmies in the Republic of Congo who are being held as slaves and cannibalized because it's good luck to eat Pygmies, apparently. Um, so they're they're they have they have a lot of uh, irons in the fire, so to speak. And I and I feel like there are really amazing people doing amazing things, and anything we can do. You know, any little bit we can do, you know, I mean, I, I I'd like to have faith that that, you know, truth and good will 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 win out. And, but it's hard after I see after seeing something like what happened on um, on this on the 6th. I can't die. I've lost totally track of the days of the week. Today's Friday, right? Yeah. It was Wednesday. Out. Wednesday, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I was glued to my 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 iPad. I couldn't I, I just would, it was in shock. But um, I don't know, maybe maybe something good will come. Up. I mean, it's refreshing to hear to, to on that Saturday when they announced that uh, uh, Biden Harris won to, to actually hear uh, two politicians speak that, that can, you know speak in entire sentences. And it wasn't me. I, uh, you know, what I, you know, I Trump treats the presidency as that the, these these people work for him that that we work for him that he, it's it's about him the power that it gives him you know and biden understands he's been a public servant his entire adult life and he's you know he's not he's not perfect but he's i think his heart's in the right place and um, and you know, this is a this winning in Georgia was such a great thing um, for the country. We need to we I mean we need to turn turn it around. Fox News and OAN, Newsmax they're not going away, and these and the, the fascists are, they're not they're not going away, and they're going to believe what they believe. But um, you know, hopefully the, the the you know look we sh- proved it in this election. Uh, people were, were passionate and got out and voted. You know more than in any election in history, and Trump likes to say, "You know, I won. I got more votes than any incumbent president in history." That's true, (laughs) but you still lost by seven million votes. So seven million of us, you know, don't want you. So go away, (laughs) go away. You know, it's uh, it's it's crazy. It's crazy, crazy times. I don't know. um, I don't know what to. I'm not a protest singer. Um, you know, you know, I, I disguise it, uh, in, in, comedy, you know, most of my stuff is, <laughs> I think I always thought our songs were funny. Um, am you know, I, I'm more, more inspired by, you know, Elvis Costello. I wish you luck with a capital F and then, you know, fuck you. I won't do what you tell me, whatever, N- you know, no offense to my buddies in, in rage, but I, 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 just, I like the language. I play music because I like, I like language and, and you know rhythm and harmony and melody and you know f- f- structure, form, um, and that's what you know. That's what attracted me to music at, at a at a young age and made me want to play it. So um, I I talk to everybody after every show. Um, you know, sit on the edge of the stage because I'm not great with social media. Um, and and I, I I meet I meet uh, good people, people that that are like minded. You know, there are many of us and. and you know, we proved there are more of us than than there are bad people. Seventy-one million is a lot. Of, it's a lot of hate. <laughs> That's um, I don't know. Can we overcome it? I don't know. I hope so.
0: Well, and you mentioned touring though. Is is this pandemic really just <laughs> getting to you? Are are have you been staying creative at home? Have you been writing lots? Have you been just counting down the days for for something to get back out there live? Um.
1: Uh, you, you know, I, um, sorry, my phone went off. I just, I forgot I had the ringer on, um, cause I had my timer set so I wouldn't be late. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, f- first of all, you know, people complaining about, uh, uh, you know, trying to turn the economy around before the pandemic was, that's, that was never happening, obviously. So when, when Trump threw Obama's 69 page pandemic playbook out the window, he, he, he screwed us right there. So. Um, we wouldn 't be in this situation if if we had stuck to the playbook we would be uh, we, we would be planning shows right now for we rescheduled shows with system of a down here at the football stadium for may from last may i don 't think they 're going to happen we um, we we moved our we had a, 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 a um, April may helmet had um, australia new zealand japan we moved it to november obviously we 've moved it again so we 're sort, sort of in limbo what what i I couldn't just sit around and, and wait, you know, for stuff to happen. So I've, I've been, you know, having an education in music and, you know, my master's degree in jazz guitar for whatever that's worth. I, I did spend a lot of time studying and teaching when before before Helmet. And um, so that's something uh, the, the School of Rock thing came about because um, they asked me to do an interview and they, uh, with the Baldwin School, St. Louis, because I'm friends with a few people there. And then they said, Hey, would you do another one with the with the, Na- the National School of Rock? i mean, they said, Absolutely. And then they're like, Hey, we really enjoyed your interview. L- would how would you feel about doing a class? And I'm like, I- absolutely, you know, I said, I've got I've got time. Um, so that came about, and then I started thinking about um, about lessons and I have a couple friends that are great guitarists that are teachers, and I've been asked in the past to do lessons and um, and uh, I started thinking about it. That's how I got my recruited my friend Tracy because I, you know, I'm not a I'm not a business minded person. I said, Well, how do we set this up so people can book lessons? And she set up my app that um and we, you know, that's linked to the page hamiltonmusic.com, my site. And I started uh, digging into this and and kind of you know some uh, cobwebs were rattling loose. And I'm like, Oh yeah, okay. I remember kind of diving into this 30 years ago. And I take it for granted now because it's sort of p- part of my my musical um, you know f- fabric or my you know all these things are in my kind of toolbox, I guess, but it's been really really kind of rejuvenated me um, to 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 dig in and try to communicate this to to the you know thirty or so people that I've given lessons to so far. maybe it's more, but um, so that's been really creative and it's kind of lit a fire into my my butt. I was scoring a movie when this all hit. Um, and, uh, that, that was, that was really fun and creative. Um, unfortunately the, the producers, you know, were not great. The director I love and he, he, he says, um, I'm doing his next two movies with him. So I've been approved or whatever. So I love, I love that. Um, as far as helmet, writing helmet songs, I haven't written anything, but I've been, I put together, finally, we got this, uh, cover song box that we did four seven inches that are, that kind of tributes to 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 people that influenced me uh, me us helmet musically um so that's all ready to go i think it's being mastered right now the artwork's done etc and we also um we're still pulling the artwork together because it took i was going looking for old pictures of the band the original lineup and found a photographer kirk from uh, from los angeles who i remember from back of the day and another guy named renee um i'll be back in um uh, the Northeast. So we got all these cool pictures, and we have these two live. We have a CBGB show that uh, that we digitized and mixed, and um, and then a, a show from the Big Day Out in Australia. So those are those are also currently being you know at mastering. I'm, I'm not sure the exact date. I think they said the sixth actually that we're gonna master them. So um, um, that's coming out, and then now I'm kind of making plans. I've been I'm do, also doing this thing. Um, this guy just call it remote producing. A band from Brazil last year, a year before last, sent me a track and asked me if I would, um, you know, produce it. They couldn't afford to fly me to to São Paulo, uh, so I just did it in my home studio. And um, and so I have four tracks right now: a band from South France, a band from New York, a band from Australia, and uh, and a band from Connecticut. My, my. so, um, that's been that's been creative and fun. You know, producing is is arranging basically. It's like writing rewriting for people um so um that's been good otherwise i've i've spent i've tried to teach myself one of my students wanted to learn travis picking and i always did finger picking you know you you do it from an early early age on the guitar but never dove into merle travis or jerry reed or any of that stuff so i've been fumbling around with that um with that, which is really interesting and fun. And uh, we did this recording of uh, Let It Be, I, I mentioned. And so I've managed to to kind of dive into the Beatles for about the, you know, 100th time in my life. And, and I use them, I use some of their tunes for lessons because they're such, they're, such, uh, they're so well constructed you know from a musical standpoint and and you can go this is where they go to the relative minor the relative minor remember we talked about that on the sixth degree of a major scale you have the you know ma- and the aeolian modes and whatever you know. so i try to make it i'm trying to make the lessons fun using great music and um, um so that's kind of writing wise i i i, I need to kind of now sit down that the new year is upon us and and um and start sketching this helmet album out. I have a commission uh, for a piece for the Christian Brothers High School um, 150th. It's the oldest um, oldest high school orchestra in the country. 150th birthday is in 2023. So um, that's that's one piece. I'm um, so far I have C over D. That's what I've written. C <laughs> over D. <laughs> so I've got a little bit of a little bit of work to do on that. You know, so it's like. That chord, <laughs> um, and uh, but that's that's going to be a, a lot of fun. I'm really I love those kind of challenges because um, I wrote a piece for Saint Pius the Tenth, or as I called it, I thought it was Saint Pius X, and they're like the the band director's like the students think it's really cute that you call it Saint Pius X. It's Saint Pius the Tenth. I'm like, okay, well, I'm a, not a I'm not Catholic, so I. Uh, I wasn't familiar with the, with that, but uh, I wrote a piece for their orchestra and, and uh, just had an absolute blast uh, flying out to Atlanta and uh, doing some seminars with the kids and working on the piece with. I actually sat in with their jazz band for the concert and uh, had a, had a great time. So that's been kind of one my, one of my great heroes and mentors is a guy in Portland, Oregon named John Stowell. Um, S T O W E L L. And he said, he told me 10 or 15 years ago, he's like, Paige, you need to, you need to teach. You need to share what, you know, you have such an uh, interesting sort of career collection of, uh, skills that you should, you need to share. So that's, I guess this year has been kind of about that, you know, trying to, you know, we're, we're, we have a school of rock session, um, after, after our interview, um, we're recording an 11 year old, um, uh, kid named hunter who's uh gonna is gonna slay me on the guitar in about five years he's um he's great really a good kid i gave him a lesson and i'm really excited so um that's you know been able to call these things kind of came full circle i guess
0: well you mentioned new york what was your inspiration or spark to want to study jazz guitar in manhattan at the time
1: I was sitting in the library at University of Oregon with a good friend of mine, uh, Barry Lehman, who was a drummer, and I didn't know what I was doing after college. I had no plan. I was delivering groceries. Then I was a bank teller and I was just kind of like, you know, I live in Eugene, Oregon in an $80 a month room uh, in a house that I share with four other people. and Barry's like, I'm thinking about grad school. And I'm like, grad school? What do you you mean, like, going to get a master's degree? And he he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, if, what if you were just at a school in New York, you know, just to be in New York? Because I, I loved New York. I, we took a family trip there when I was 17, and I, I fell in love with it. And, uh, you know, John Coltrane and Thelonious Monk and Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and... Louis Armstrong and, you know, Bud Powell and, uh, you know, all, all these heroes of mine came from, you know, everywhere from Philly to North Carolina and, and New Orleans and Chicago and everybody convened in New York and invented bebop. And I was like, that's to me, you know, art, art, music, inspiration on in the highest order. And I thought, I really need to live in New York. And, and I think going there with a purpose, like I'm going to audition for grad school. So I'm not just some Rube from Oregon that shows up with a with a guitar and a polytone mini brute guitar amp and a, and a duffel bag. So I, I flew out um, from, I was living in Seattle at the time, a bank teller there, because I had to get out of Eugene. I was kind of over it at that point. And um, flew out for the audition, you know, had, had friends of friends that let me stay out in Queens and um, and got in. And I actually got a small scholarship and a work study um, kind of stipend. So I would get up at you know six in the morning and mop the stage in the, in the auditorium and had two nine foot Steinway grand pianos. So I'd bang on those um, just to by myself in the hall, which was just an amazing feeling, you know, for a crappy piano player just to play one cool chord on a piano like that is is inspiring but that was kind of it I just wanted to be there and um I went out with my $550 thinking god I can't wait to get an apartment in New York City this is gonna be amazing and and you know I started looking at at apartments I mean looking at in the paper and I'm like a thousand dollars a month for, an, for a you know a studio apartment, I'm like I can't afford that. That's I don't even have a thousand dollars to my name. So I found out this this place called Care Realty, C A R E Care Realty. The guy I'll never forget. The guy's name is Tim Moss, um, and they they rented rooms out in single room occupancy hotels. Uh, alas, you know, basically they were welfare hotels where people that were on government um, uh, budgets would live. So I got a room uh, for $180 a month, and um, that's that's it started. And I ended up um, get, going. The first job I knew how to do was a bank teller. So that summer when I got there, I, I applied at Citibank and got a job and, um, and then quit once the semester started. Um, and then I got a job working security at the, in the building I lived in from midnight to 8 a.m. Um, my pay was so bad that I got six months behind in the Welfare Hotel, and um, the, the landlord, Vahik Babayan, he's like, Paige, you, you, you owe me six months' rent. I'm like, I work for you. You don't pay me enough to eat, you know? Um, so I ended up getting a job at the Learning Annex delivering magazines, and that's kind of turned everything around. I paid my back rent and, um, and you know, got an apartment um, uh, with my then-girlfriend and, and uh, kind of started, st- you know, started auditioning for bands, you know? Uh, got in Band of Susans, and then I got in Glenn Branca's band uh, group. This The the Symphony um, Six was the piece that we were rehearsing for and recorded. Um, and I did, I mean, I was t- talking to uh, t- uh, my, my friend, my co- uh, co-worker at School of Rock, who is on, uh, she's the one on the ground with the students in St. Louis while I'm doing it remotely. Um, and we are talking about cover bands being in cover bands and stuff. And she said, yeah, some of the kids just want to learn cover songs and, they have no interest in writing and, and recording. I'm like, really? That's I find that very strange. I auditioned for a couple of cover bands, but it was it was kind of a, my nightmare to tell you the truth. Like, you know, you got to play nine six found bump whatever you know, or wear skinny piano ties and capizios and you know, with your mullet and um, I don't know, with with a guitar or something. I don't know. Just wasn't my dream, so. Um, but I' um, you know I, I auditioned for all kinds of stuff because I was just looking for any band to join so
0: well, and in in Band of Susan's, you then work with John Peel. What do you think that you learned the most from him, and do you think that it kind of helps set you up for when you went to the studio yourself with helmet?
1: No question that, that John the John Peel session we worked with a guy if I think I'm remembering correctly his name is Mike Robinson, who had recorded my favorite. You Know the, the band that I that made me want to play guitar, Led Zeppelin at the time. Um, and uh, that was an, a kind of an experience. Um, also working with Robert Poss, uh, in Van Susan's was a great experience because he's very uh, he was very intellectual, very um, kind of he had an intellectual approach to feedback and writing, and thought his lyrics were great. He wasn't the world's greatest, strongest singer. But he wrote cool songs and he had really cool guitar parts, and I learned a lot from him and, uh, as well. But, but yeah, the John Peel session was pretty, was pretty amazing when I think about it. But you you could only withstand um, you know ten or fifteen minutes in the control room at a time because this guy this guy listened back. I'm not kidding you at like a hundred fucking dB. It was unbelievably <laughs> loud. I, how can this guy hear a damn thing? You know, I was like, Jesus, I got to get out of here. It was it was amazing. And that takes a lot of cover for me. And like, obviously, he has some kind of hearing damage. But it's pretty pretty interesting uh, experience. We later did a, um, with Helmet, we did a, uh, uh, not Peel, what's the other one? Good, good, uh, I want to say Goodrich. I'm thinking Mick Goodrich from, from Berkeley. But no, um, Goodrich, uh, good, good. Uh, Oh my gosh. Why do I draw a blank? Ah, um, it's kind of the, the, the newer John Peel uh, did his.
0: Yeah, um, I, I, I want to say that it is Goodrich, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure.
1: Anyway. Um, we actually still have, um, tracks over there, unfinished tracks, um, that we did, um, within the, uh, the original helmet lineup. Cause we had we, we had a show the night before a show that night, a show the next night, And I was having a bit of, uh, vocal kind of hoarseness and uh we went in and recorded i think we recorded three or four songs and um and i didn't do the vocals we kind of because i i was like man i gotta play a show tonight for a thousand people or two thousand it was a fairly big london show Uh, i can't remember um if it was a story or something like that but um so we never finished them so they're sitting around there somewhere i hope you know maybe one day i'll go in and do the vocals one of the songs we we did was a um, actually, a, a, a cover of Freak Magnet. Mag. We were friends uh, uh, with L7 at the time, and um, their crew guy was a Scotsman, so I got him to to do to do some some uh, vocal pickup line babbling on the uh, on the track. This Freak magnets a song about you know, creeps, you know. <laughs> I was like, so you got to hit on, you got to pretend like you're hitting on a girl at a bar, and you know, creepy being a creep, you know, with your awesome Scottish accent. <laughs> I was like, um, so, yeah, somewhere, somewhere, someday maybe I'll, I'll get finished.
0: I want to move into helmet for a second. And some, some artists hate hypothetical kinds of questions, but I am a little bit curious. Do you think that if you would have stayed with Amphetamine Reptile, those next records would have been a little bit different? Or do you think that Meantime and Betty, Aftertaste, Size Matters, all that stuff was going to come out no matter what? It didn't matter where you went.
1: Uh, yeah the latter um we meantime was i had a bunch of that stuff written already when we um when we signed to the and um i i had a talk with tom hazelmeyer instead of a reptile and he said I, I just can't deal with this anymore because you guys are too big for the label and i was like okay he said i'm getting all these calls and i don't know what to do um and so he he basically you know kind of to shove me out the door, shove us out the door. I know he loves us, loves our music or whatever, but you know, Meantime would have, if it had come out on him, we it would have been the same album, but probably we wouldn't have had uh, Andy Wallace mixed it because we couldn't afford it um, you know? Uh, so, you know, I guess maybe Albini would have mixed it or we would have finished the album with Wharton. Um, I mean, we would have had Wharton mix it because uh, yeah, that's that's what happened. We did we we only did one track with Albini. We did in the meantime, and then that demo. Um, we love the I love the performance more than the the recording we did with Wharton. Um, just from a band standpoint, nothing to do with Steve or Wharton. And uh, so we so that was what we mixed for the album. The demo it was a, a, we played that song. Um, I arranged it that day in the studio. I had I had. Uh, Da 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 da, I have da 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 da. I those parts, but I haven't put it together yet. I came up with that chordal thing at the beginning and described it to John and Henry. And uh, Peter's not on that trap because it was it was too difficult, which is understandable. It's very syncopated and um, the turnarounds are a little tricky. Um, you know, so, you know, one two two one two two, do and and that that's you know, You know, the feel is is difficult. It's not, you know, I wrote it so I'm gonna feel it's gonna feel good for me, but for Peter, it was asked it was a, a lot to ask. You know, um, but yeah, we would have um then Betty. I'm not sure because um, Betty was my partial kind of. um I don't know not fuck you but i always i always thought if something became if you got known for one thing then you would paint yourself into a corner and then we got in the meantime we didn't expect it to be um as big as it was you know for a, a, a indie sounding band that to have a gold record was um was pretty much unheard of i mean you can't really think of anyone that was you know that aggressive at the time that had a gold record it was you know a couple of years later they had you know all kinds of heavy bands were on uh letterman letterman told us that, that a lot of people at the show really loved us but we were just too aggressive for the show and we're like wow okay then like not kidding two years later they had bands influenced by my helmet or something It's funny so odd
0: well and then monochrome comes out after interscope after you left interscope that yeah. seems like such a free album. Like it's, it it might, in my opinion, it might be Helmut's best album. It might be the most perfect album that you guys made. Mm. What was what, what was the, the thought behind that album? Was was any of that stuff written during your, your time at Interscope, or was that all? We're we're gonna go on a new path, and and we're gonna we're, we're gonna trench this trenches from right here on.
1: Um, I always had. Um, I always keep a collection of um, kind of ideas. You know, like I'll have 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 notebooks um, piled everywhere. That well, they're actually in a bookshelf right now. But when I do sit down and start lyrics, I'll, I pull out. And I'll have probably ten or twelve notebooks with. Um, some sometimes I just write freehand. Uh, sometimes I just jot down ideas. Sometimes I'm in my car or walking and I I see a. A billboard or hear a comment I, what was the one i was driving on uh, venice boulevard in la and i, I was stuck in traffic I and mean, i heard i heard a major detail of a woman in front of a restaurant that been, i don't know why i found it so funny oh this yes wine is a, it's a fruit forward um, it was some i wrote it down somewhere it was it's a it's seeing some description that made me some incredibly pretentious description of this wine made me my pants. I was like, "Quick, where's my notebook?" I, I find the oddest things um, to uh, to be funny, and, and 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 also one line like that kind of you, you can build a song around. So I, I, I did have stuff compiled. Um, there's a complete, um, absolutely misconception. Um, I, I, somebody sent me something. Uh, is it Wick, Wikipedia? And they said, "Oh, the size." Matters album was written about Winona writer, uh, uh, which is is one hundred percent false. Um, I, I didn't, I hadn't met her when I was writing those songs, um, she, uh, so none of the songs are about, are about her. But there there are a couple songs on Monochrome about her. So um, it's it's uh, it's funny that people's people's perception. Oh, he's dating a famous person. The songs must be about her. I uh, actually know that was that album came out in 2004 and I think we had just started seeing each other I, I forget the exact years I want to say 2003 2004 um maybe I have my my dates wrong but I know I moved to LA after September 11th so that was 2000 December 2001 um uh so that so size matters was just this kind of um, long process because because I had Gandhi and, and several of those songs I had recorded with Gandhi, um, including See You Dead and Everybody Loves You, um, and they sound like Helmet songs. <laughs> you know, you know, I was writing and still the the band Gandhi we didn't have a lot of songs, so they were like, let's play some Helmet songs, and I was still missing that vocabulary. I still I love that Helmet vocabulary. You know, it's just it's like it's so you know it's so. Um, clear you know it's like like, like the, these are the limitations i've placed uh, uh, you know placed on my writing it's gonna have two guitars two rhythm guitars and bass and drums and now we have four guys to sing but you know one lead, one lead singer and then guys that can do backing vocals and it's so i you know i have done things like la water where i brought I did orchestral samples and i had a cellist come in and stuff like that we did that on aftertaste as well um, we had jane scarp and uh, tony come and play cello on them, like i care Sardi's the one that kind of opened my my mind to that stuff because I was like I was always like it has to be just the guys that are playing on stage you know that's just kind of just like a live band which is you know nobody makes albums like that like I mean look at the Beatles you know they they they, they use everything in in the studio including a great orchestrator and orchestra and whatever um, but I don't know monochrome. Uh, was I, I did feel very free after the Size Matters experience because Size Matters took a long time. I had just moved to Los Angeles and I didn't realize the, um, I guess I didn't realize the esteem that people held Helmet. You know that the, the and everybody wanted to be involved. And it's, like, it's a new Helmet album after seven years. And to me, it was just like, oh, finally, you know, a, you know, getting you know, getting some money to make a record and to write songs. Um, that's all I was excited about, um, but the label, the business had changed so much, um, and you know, I mean, we were just uh, one of the hundreds of bands that they were gonna, you know, uh, that were gonna put out albums that year on Mirsky. So it was kind of, kind of, was a letdown to, to tell you the truth. I feel like some of my best songs are on that album um, as well, and uh, but it, you know, it is what it is. We still play them live, and. I know um, as a decibel did a re-review of the album because when it came out nobody was going to like it. You know, it's like a new Helmet album with different guys, and it was a complete losing battle. And then like three or four years later, decibel's like we were wrong about the album. It's actually really good. That's how I feel about every record. You know, when we did meantime, uh, Kirk, this photographer who I, who I got back in touch with to get pictures from, he 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 came to see us play in Long Beach, and he's like. I expected helmet and I got a bonnet. So we got too soft on meantime from between strap it on and meantime. Then Betty, of course, really threw people off. You know, there's a, there's a fake jazz song on there and a funk tune and whatever. And um, aftertaste, I talked to a, a singer from a band uh, on the, a couple of guys in advance from Warped Tour one with the guys on Thursday. And they were like, yeah, we got, we took acid and bought the album and did went to our gas station job and, and listen to aftertaste and had a bad acid batch. And he I can't listen to the album. And it's like, but now, you know, uh, and other people's like, I was so disappointed when it came out. Cause it wasn't, you know, wasn't in the meantime, you know? And I'm like, God, I'm ready. you can't, you can't write the same song. You know, your, your, your job is to, is to, you know, move forward, you know, like they like say, using the rules that you set for yourself. And that's basically what I, still my approach to helmet, you know?
0: Well- do you think that you're learning the most when you're trying to come up with stuff for Helmet or Gandhi or, or or, any, or like performing in a band like that? Do you think it's more the production side when you're, when you're being a record producer, or do you think it's when you get to play with other bands like you did oh, when what? you were on the David Bowie uh, hours tour?
1: It's all, um, I, I don't give it all equal weight, but cause, cause Helmet's, you know, my helmet and jazz guitar are kind of my first two loves. Like I love, I've spent most of my time working on music that other you know, songs other people wrote. But in jazz, what we do is we go, that that's a chord symbol. How many different ways can I play that chord? And if the melody's, you know, if I'm playing C major chord and there's a B on top, that's a C major seven, I can voice it like, you know, X, Y, or Z. And you know, in your plus you're improvising using the material that is contained within those chord changes and the structure and that you what you know from scales and scales and modes and arpeggios and intervals and and rhythm rhythmic things that you practice and stuff so it's all you know all those i I still still pick up the guitar every morning first thing with my coffee that's the first thing i do you know and and i'm a i'm a guitar player that sings and i've I've gotten better singing over the years and more confident um because early on i was so nervous i had to slug down a half a bottle of um wild turkey you know or like a couple of shots at least with beers to just get up on stage and sing. Um, and I got more and more confident the more shows I, I played and the more I, I worked at it and realized that you have to have the same discipline singing that you do with um, with your guitar playing and you have to have the same discipline with your lyric writing. I always had, uh, early on, I was kind of developing this stream of conscious approach. Robert Post and I talked about this from Man of Susans. He said, I will write Lines on a piece of paper and you know, scatter them around the, whole, the, the living room and pick them up and put it together. I go, that's interesting. So I've, you know, I, Buzz from the Melvins has an interesting, uh, interesting approach. He ha- approach. He hates when you when you understand the lyrics. You know? I was like, that's really funny, because uh, when we did the cover of oven, he's like, how'd you figure out the lyrics? And I go, well, actually, they're on the album sleeve. So <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'm never doing that again. And I'm like, well too late now, but, um, you learn, I, I it's amazing. I, you know, I've talked about this kind of the pandemic put, you know, uh, necessity, breeding, you know, uh, you know, this, this situation, look, I need to, I need to have some income, but I need to do something that I still believe in and love. And and, and if I was begrudging me going about working with school, the rock kids and giving lessons, it would, I'd be miserable. And I'm, I'm finding I'm learning so much because you try explaining um, rhythmic phrases and lines and, and, and rhymes to an 11 year old, you know, um, that that is that like loves Jimi Hendrix and Steve Vai. And you're like, OK, how can I how can I communicate to him you know, to, to improve his his song, improve his playing, improve his musicality? And that's I, you learn a lot from that. It's Howard Roberts, the great Howard Roberts, who started GIT, which, and then, uh, you know, uh, Guitar Institute Technology, which is now called Musicians Institute, where I uh, shot my instructional um, DVD uh, years ago, about 10 years ago, Um, and I spoke at their graduation. He, he, he said the day he took his first guitar lesson, he gave his first guitar lesson, and he might he might have been exaggerating, but the, the point is you're looking at the fretboard from 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 the other side, and you're 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 you know solving his Hagberg, his writing partner, and my, men, my another of my mentors said, you know we're solving musical problems, and that's you know you can you can have inspiration. I think Dvorak uh, is the one, Anthony Dvorak, someone said everybody has inspiration. The great composer is the one. That has the discipline to, to, you know, I'm paraphrasing to construct, you know, an interesting f- a form, a song, a movement of a symphony or whatever, whatever it is. So, so, you know, con- continually, constantly, you know, chiseling away at the, at the, cre- you know, at your, um, you know, your, your, your ways of, ways of composing, ways of hearing and ways of singing, you, you're, it's a, it's a, it's a work in progress. I mean, every day. Is. And I knew, I knew when I was lying on my back in the middle of Hayward Field in Eugene, and I tried to decide what, what I was going to do with my life, knowing that in my heart I wanted to be a musician more than anything. I thought to myself, like if I'm a CPA, like my uncle, or a doctor, like another uncle, or whatever, then you know, I'll I'll, st- I'll stop. I'll stop learning. I'll stop. I'll get bored. I won't. I won't like it. In music, I know I'll never, ever, ever run out of something new to say or to learn. And that's what I'm. That's, I'm trying to impress upon these students: if you have a musical foundation, and 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 this big, all these guitar teachers online, so many of them. You don't need scales. You don't need this. You don't need to practice. You don't need. He's like, yeah, bullshit. Yes, you do. You know. Uh, they're, so they're so they're teaching you a fragment rather than teaching you a whole pentatonic scale. Here, play these four <laughs> notes, and then here's a chord, and play over that. Well, why not just teach them all five notes? Why not teach them all seven notes of the scale? You know, it, it's it's you all we were doing is, is kind of reverse engineering great music that was composed. If a scale was good enough for Mozart, it's good enough for me. You know, you know, if an arpeggio is good enough for Vernon Duke, it, you know, it, it's good enough for me, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's, you're, you, you build a musical foundation and, and, and from that, you have a deep reservoir to, to pull ideas. You know, so many of my, so many of my friends that are rock stars and they're burned out and they're bringing in, songwriters and they they have to collaborate with this guy or that guy. I feel like they got stuck. They, they, they got, uh, they got a couple of rock records. They got into it. They wanted to be rock stars. They got their dream. And then it's like, that's empty. You know, being a musician is not empty. Being a rock star is, it, I, you know, I mean, honestly, like I, I don't, that was never my dream. I always was fascinated by music and, and, and inspired by it. And I've met, I met Mel Waldron, the great jazz pianist who wrote Soul Eyes that Coltrane recorded and he was Billie Holiday's uh, last pianist. And he was the most humble, gracious, gracious, beautiful guy. I stood in front of him at the Village Vanguard in, in New York and as a, a young man and you know, Mr. Waldron, I saw you in Eugene, Oregon a couple of times and we had a little conversation and he was, and literally was standing there like a monk. I mean, just this beautiful, Genius, you know, and and that to me is much more impressive than than, than some some blowhard bloviating about, you know, they're they're a genius because they sold fifty million records, you know, Kanye West, you know, no thanks.
0: <laughs> well, you're working with with young people so directly, and do you see the thirst for jazz, even if they didn't get into guitar because of jazz? Do you see when you start teaching them? And giving them these little tidbits of jazz here and there that that, that they're they're getting thirsty for it. And do you, can you see a resurgence of jazz again coming up?
1: Interestingly, my my San Francisco 49er group uh, uh, that teases me because Matt Flynn, the drummer from Gandhi, who's in uh, the band Maroon Five, and uh, Benno Weiner, who's a professor at Carnegie Mellon of Chinese literature history of genius. Uh, Dan Moran, one of Woody Allen's main actors who sadly is suffering from Parkinson and Daisy Berenger, who's a writer in San Francisco and my friend Jeff Bottoms, who was like the top one of the top two voiceover guys in New York city, all these accomplished people. They teased me about jazz because Flynn doesn't like jazz because he had a bad experience in, in, in community college in Palo Alto or whatever. And like, that has not not a fucking thing to do with jazz. It's so <laughs> me. It's, 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 I said, the instrument that you play was invented by a jazz musician. So you didn't have to have one guy playing the cymbals, one guy, the kick, one guy, the snare. And, uh, and, and I said, that's your short, that's a shortcoming in you. And I don't cram jazz down anybody's throats, but am I going to sit around and come up with, you know, two months worth of lessons on, uh, on, uh, I don't know, uh, Jay Giles' band? I don't know, maybe, I guess I, I probably could, but you know, no offense to Jay Giles' band, There's 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 so much harmonic information. There's so much rhythmic information. You know, what is improvisation? I, you know, you can learn a collection of licks and, and scales and play fast stuff on the fretboard. Is that music? I don't know. I, I mean, if it contributes to a musical moment on a, on a song, but as one friend of mine who makes my made my guitar pickups at DiMarzio in New York said, well, Yng- Yngwie Malmsteen's songs are a joke waiting for the punchline, which is the guitar solo. That's to take nothing away from his incredible guitar playing, but it's I'm, I'm about the composition, the song, the tune, the vocal you know, working with the guitar and the solo and jazz, that comes from, people say, well, I don't hear jazz in Helmet." I'm like, because it's not, it's not fucking jazz. It comes out of a combination of ACDCs, Led Zeppelin, hardcore music, jazz, Beethoven, you know, thematic development. This is a riff. This is the best heavy metal riff ever. Bop, 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 bomb. You know, that's, you learn, you learn that, you learn how to, what motivic development is when you study jazz. Jim Hall, his solo. Right now, I'm teaching my advanced students a song called I Can't Get Started with You. And I, I referred them to Jim Hall's live version and to Billie Holiday's version with Lester Young. Because they're two completely different versions, one done in 1975, one done in 1937, but they're both genius. And it's like, what is it about this? The, what, how are they making this song, these this, this chord changes, form, and melody their own? And that, so I, I just find jazz to be a great educational vehicle and my stu- you know most of my students i'll admit are guys uh, uh one in germany that i gave a lesson to two days ago He's, he said he was in he was 13 when he first heard helmet in grade school and um so they're at this point in their 30s and 40s they're red they, they can they can handle it they're like okay we love you so, and you love jazz so this there must be something to this so that's that's been that's been a you know not an easy sell, but they, they understand this is, this is my program. Either you're with me or you're not. I'm not, I don't call myself a jazz guitarist. I play jazz. I love jazz. I don't make a living as a jazz guitarist. I make a living composing and singing and touring. And um, so that, you know, it's, but there's not a greater way to educate people about music, about theory, about, you know, how to improvise, about how to write than, than jazz in my opinion you know and it's um the kids i am still on uh you know uh, guitar for the small fry it, so there's i mean to get them had a nine-year-old to get him to play a c, the, you know, c chord on the top three strings like open e and g string with the c on the first fret the b string is a month you know, so there's no jazz happening there yet. You know, um, another kid, you know, knew a D chord and knew an E minor seven chord, believe it or not. And so I taught her G and um, I taught her G, C and uh, I can't remember what I what So I said, look, I just did a recording of Let It Be. I did it in the key of G because I'm a baritone and Paul, Sir Paul does it in C. I go, let's learn, because her grandfather who gave her the guitar once loves classic rocks, I said, well, we can this doesn't have too many chords let's do this song, so I'm starting with that, so again, Beatles are great, you know, great educational, uh, you know material, as as is jazz music, look, I'm not going to have them check transcribing john coltrane and the you know it, it, it that that's for the ones that really go deep you know and uh i did have to give a couple lessons to a kid at berkeley college of music that was really that was really fun um and i'm like why why me you're at one of the greatest music schools in the world is i just love your approach and he said i've learned more in these lessons than you know his, his major is not guitar though so And at Berkeley's defense, you know, his major is drums. So that's probably why he hasn't learned as much in his guitar class. But,
0: um, yeah. Well, and then you're commissioned to do something like Michael Mann's Heat. When you get the opportunity to go into the film realm, were you excited to to tackle on this new kind of an art form where you're putting music to images?
1: Absolutely, yeah. It was, um, thank God for Elliot Goldenthal. He, um he reached out, he, he, he reached me through Warner Brothers, my late uh, late uh, sweet friend, Tim Carr, who was the uh, A&R guy at Warner Brothers that tried to sign Helmet, and they were doing the Heat soundtrack. And Elliot was looking for, uh, he, he was getting into Glenn Branca and he said, I'm looking for something kind of guitar orchestral thing. And Tim Carr was like, well, we just tried to sign this artist Paige Hamilton. Um, and he played with Glenn and he's a really good guitar player. And so he brought me in and and I hired, He said he wanted to put together a little guitar orchestra. So I brought my friends, um, uh, Andy Hawkins from blind idiot God, uh, Dave Reed, who later formed a band called wider that helmet took out and, uh, Eric Hubel, uh, uh, who played with Glenn Branca. And we kind of did this guitar thing and it was, it was interesting. Um, uh, and, and And fun, but I think at the end of the day, Elliot ended up just bringing me in for for uh, movies uh, after that because it was hard to coordinate four guys and and um those guys weren't reading a lot um and I think it's just easier to work with one guy and have him, you know having multi track i mean he also has happens to have one of the best guitar players on the planet, Mark Stewart who lives in new york who's paul, uh, paul Simon's musical director and had played with You know, everyone from the Everly Brothers to McCartney to you name it. So, And he can play cello and any other thing. So he uses mostly Mark now, unless there's some uh, big event like the concert we did in Poland a couple of years ago, um, uh, where they dragged me out there. So. Um, it's just really fun, really challenging. Elliot's kind of the one that got me. He's like, your guitar playing is like it's or, uh, like an orchestra. It's like it's very orchestral with the distortion and the feedback and creating these layers. And it kind of got me to, got me thinking about it. And my film stuff is very much, um, you know, ba- built around the guitar. I play obviously most of it is written on a keyboard because I'm doing using orchestral samples. Uh, and, and loops and sounds and stuff like that, but I but uh, there's a lot of a lot of guitar texture in my stuff too. You wouldn't even recognize it as guitar though. It's very experimental, and that happened, you know, by me working with Elliot. And now I have um, I sort of have this modular pedal board system, um, so I can use one one to four pedal boards at the same time, depending on what sounds I'm trying to get. Um, and that 's really really been fun so one of my one of my fantasy pipe dream you know projects of the future is to do the, an orchestral guitar piece you know so it'll be like a guitar concerto, but it won 't be um, it won 't be you know uh, Rodrigo. you know you know it won 't be classical guitar it'll be my 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 bizarre you know as i call it i said to Bowie, i 'm not really a guitar player i 'm more of a shit a shit sculptor. I told that said that to Wire too. They were like, Paige, what do you? How do you want us to credit credit you on the record?" And I'm like, "Shit, sculptor." And they're like, "No, no, no," and um, they. So I think that it was like guitar. I, I don't think it was guitar scronk or whatever, but um, like you know, noise and uh, sound, guitar sound design, something like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, boy was like, "Oh, Page, shut up. You, you play guitar." I'm like, "Yeah, barely." it's interesting
0: well when you get to do something like Across the Universe with all, all the Beatle references already in this were you, were you excited that you got to tackle on a film revolving around the Beatles
1: yeah I was over the moon it was absolutely one of the greatest experiences I love Elliot um, I love his producer Keith Skull I love uh, uh, his engineers Joel and Rick Martinez from who used to play trumpet Blood Sweat and Tears um, I, I actually did. We did when we did that song with Rufus Reid on bass and Bono on vocals for uh, the Good Thief for Neil Jordan. Rick played organ on that. Um, um, I love working with them. I love um, and I got to work with my late, um, sweet friend T-Bone Walk from uh, Holland Oats and uh, SNL. He, I actually went my last straight job in New York was as a limo driver, and he, he, they farmed out because they had nights where there were too many. Uh, they needed too many drivers so they farmed it out to our company uh, Attitude New York and Jeff my boss said do you want to do SNL? I'm like hell yeah so I drove GE and uh, T-Bone GE could have given two shits about me you know but T-Bone and I had to drive to Yonkers so we had a long conversation and he asked me to send him send him a cassette tape this would have been 1989 I think Ninety, maybe, um, and uh, uh, here I am, all these years later. I'm working on Across the Universe, and who should be the bassist but T Bone Walk And he's the most, was the most loving, um, open-minded. Here's a guy who plays in Hall O's and a, and, a, and, a, you know, and me, you know, feedback, noise, you know, hardcore metal, whatever you want to call it, guitarist. And he just was, he's like, God, I just love what you do. I don't, I don't understand it it's so cool he would watch me play and it just was so complimentary and so and we, we'd come to LA we'd get together and stuff and uh he um the last time I saw him they were at the Beverly Hills Hotel and, and uh, I said I said why are you here he's like um we played and I'm like we who and he's like Holland and O's. and I'm like why the fuck didn't you tell me he's like you like holland oats? I'm like fuck yeah dude are you kidding me like <laughs> yeah you, you know like man eater and, and fucking you know dance on your knees and you're out of touch I mean are you kidding? that's some great songs and Sarah smiles he didn't know I love it was I was a fan of him he just thought we were just buddies because of the movie you know it just it was like uh, he said well next time I'll let you know and then he passed away yeah
0: Paige I want to thank you so much for coming on here today it really means a lot yeah. to me um and I can't wait for any of your new upcoming projects. Anytime I see Paige Hamilton or Helmet, I get I get fucking excited. I hope everybody else does too. So I just want to thank you cool. again for coming on.
1: Oh, great. Great. You know, thanks for having me. It was uh, it was really fun. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Okay, take care, have
0: stay safe. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening. Make sure to catch up on all things Paige Hamilton over at PageHamiltonmusic.com. You can find that in the show notes. If you've never seen Helmet, never heard Helmet, just go and listen to that. And this concludes our broadcast day.